Think and do spurs curiosity. If you take a look at it, and I go back to my seven-year-old child and my four-year-old, they learn more from actual experimentation. Their entire life, right now, they're just experimenting with everything. When I'm interviewing students fresh out of college, right? You can also see a sense of confidence on them when they've actually tried and applied because they've actually seen their work at play. So I think having this sort of practical experience is incredibly important. I've had students come to me and said, I've never learned more than I ever have in my entire you know, MBA or undergraduate career than, than when I took this practicum class. Welcome to The Pool Podcast, the official podcast of the Pool College of Management at NC State University. This is a think and do conversation about the relationship between academics and industry. In each episode, we will share research and ideas from the classroom, from our incredible faculty, and explore how it's being translated into practice. I'm your host, Jenny Hammond, Chief Marketing and Communications Officer here in Pool College. Let's dive in. Today, we have a unique opportunity to have a conversation with one of our faculty members and an alumni from our Jenkins MBA program. They are going to share with us their thoughts on how the global supply chain has been impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic. Rob Hanfield is the Bank of America University Distinguished Professor of Supply Chain Management here in Poole College of Management, and is also the Director of the Supply Chain Resource Cooperative. Rob has consulted with over 25 Fortune 500 companies and has published more than 100 articles in top management journals. Rob is considered a thought leader in the field of supply chain management and is an industry expert in the field of strategic sourcing, supply market intelligence, and supplier development, and has spoken on these subjects across the globe. Welcome, Rob. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be here this morning, Jenny. Joy Deep Gangley is currently Senior Vice President, Corporate Operations at Gilead Sciences. Prior to Gilead, Joy Deep spent 10 years at Biogen, where he held executive positions of increasing responsibility in technical operations manufacturing, and supply chain functions. He currently serves on the board of directors for the Bay Area Council, Science from Scientists, and North Carolina State University's Supply Chain Research Consortium. Joy Deep has published extensively in areas of bioprocess optimization, supply chain transformation, and advanced process control. He was recently recognized by the National Diversity Council as a top 50 diverse leader in California. So happy to have you join us today, Joy Deep. Welcome back to Pool. Yeah, thanks. Pleasure to be here. Great. So we have a lot to talk about today. So let's jump in. Rob, I'm going to start with you. As we mentioned in your intro, among your many roles and responsibilities, one of them is the director of the Supply Chain Resource Cooperative. For those that are not familiar with this, do you mind providing us maybe a 30,000 foot view of, of what it is and why it's such an asset to have here in Pool College? Sure, Jane. Well, you know, 20 years ago, we founded the Supply Chain Resource Cooperative, and the idea was to create a center for thought, leadership, and discovery. And really, my initial thought was we need to really use students to tackle many of these new supply chain challenges. Students come with new ideas and new frame of reference, and uh, they're also learning through direct engagement in real supply chain problems. And we've developed a core group of supply chain partners that we do this. And today, every supply chain student does a three-credit practicum working with one of our partners, including Gilead, who's, who's been one of our partners here for the last few years. So it's, it's very much aligned with the think and do mentality here at Poole and at NC State. 
Joy Deep, I know you had the opportunity to work with Rob when you were here. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that later. But in your current role as Senior Vice President for Corporate Operations, I assume the pandemic has influenced shifts in much of your day-to-day, right? As well as impacting strategic goals and objectives. How have you navigated these changes in the last 12 months and, and how have you done so to continue to keep things on an optimal level? It's a great question, right? The pandemic sort of forced us to rethink everything. So within my remit, I look at uh, look after various functions like corporate real estate, engineering facilities, procurement, which is how I know Rob very well, even with our with our SCRC sort of collaboration. But even you know, security and risk and resilience. One of the groups I do manage is the corporate security, risk and resilience functions. That was actually was the front and on the front lines of the the way the company responded. But rather than belabor on the various theoretical aspects of our response, I'll I'll boil it down to three things, right? It forced us to reimagine almost everything, right? It forced us to reimagine workspace constructs. How do we design our master plans? Where are we located? How do we... I mean, Gilead as a company emphasizes and values collaboration as a catalyst to accelerate innovation. We are a science-based company. And, you know, part of us putting scientific innovations forward involves our scientists being able to connect and collide with each other to bring and spark innovation. So we had to rethink the way all our facilities and our real estate footprint is designed to continue to maintain collaboration in this surreal hybrid world. Number two, it made us redefine all our business processes. You know, operations within biopharma was not known for innovation. You know, we are very paper-based, very, very focused on, on compliance. And I think what this forced us to do was take a look at using and accelerating things like digital transformation that was a luxury and was supposed to be a lighthouse effort at some point in time. Now it became part of our DNA. You had to be do you, you you were doing things like factory acceptance tests over Zoom. You were looking at the use of AR and VR liberally. You were looking at permits being approved digitally. So the natural incentive to accelerate digital transformations and digital agendas for companies was one of the best byproducts, actually. And I hope post-pandemic, when things do return to the semi-normal, we're able to keep that innovation with us. So besides redefining business processes and sort of reimagining our workspaces, it also, in my mind, reinvented leadership, right? One of the things that uh, I publish and I talk heavily about is the role of Pharma 4.0 and advanced sort of analytical constructs in the way the operations are going to be run in the future. It has a nice allusion over there to putting people at the center of everything. So while we talk digital, while we talk efficiency, one thing that stood out for me specifically in the way Gilead responded, and I'm sure other companies did as well, was they really put people at the center of their response. How are our employees feeling? How are our patients feeling? How are... You know, this was tough. It tested, you know, it tested us. I give you a very personal example. I have a seven-year-old and a four-year-old. My entire sort of work life, which was so desperately neatly carved out from my personal life, now all blended together. And, you know, finding an effective routine became next to impossible for me. And I was incredibly lucky to work for a company that not just understood that, but expected me as a leader to be vulnerable about it. And, and in the spirit that we'd encourage everybody around us to recognize we're all trying to make this work out. So I think a, re, uh, a reframing of leadership, redefinition of our business processes and rethinking everything, right, from workspace constructs to master plan to the way operations are going to be run were the sort of three ways I sort of bucketed the way we responded. Which is interesting you say that, you know, as a mom as well myself, it, it, it's definitely been very blurry the last several months, but I think there've been some wins. I mean, it sounds like there's definitely been some things that your company has discovered that you'll want to continue to do post pandemic and potentially even have greater satisfaction with kind of a work-life balance too, with employees. 
No, absolutely. And uh, I want to just restate the point that we, the company came up with this concept of leadership commitments beyond in a way to bring that core value to life. It talks about, you know, the things like I care, I listen, I contextualize, I lead with empathy, right? And I think what this, what this pandemic did was it made us sort of exercise that muscle more liberally, right? You know, and you know, I can totally empathize with you, your story about being a mom, right? And I live in San Francisco in the city with two kids and every reason I was an SF right now sort of became what was supposed to be a blessing. Oh, I could go to restaurants anytime. I could, you know, I could stay at work as long as I want to. Now that work's not there, the restaurants were closed and we are stuck in a very small space with two little kids trying to do online classes. So I lost almost every source of my competitive advantage in terms of trying to get this done. And if it wasn't for the empathy and the understanding of my team as well as our company, right? So there was a lot of there were a lot of lessons learned in terms of how, and it gave us a, a really nice window into how people do sort of how this made people struggle quite a bit. And I think companies that stood tall, that that thrived, were companies that not just recognized that, but actually created support systems for the teams to thrive in that. So I know this seems to be a little bit more on the emotional spectrum of, of the response we're looking for. No, I think it's. I think it absolutely aligns with what we're seeing in, in a lot of places. Which a little bit of a transition here, Rob. But I think we can all relate. I know I was one of those panicked people back in March, wondering if I was not going to have enough toilet paper or disinfectant. But from toilet paper to disinfectant wipes, we did see a lot of disruption, especially there at the beginning of the pandemic. What happened that caused such a strain, and why were we not better prepared? Well, that, that's a great question, Jenny. And, and, you know, I think to Joy Deep's point, everything has changed. You know, in 2010, after the SARS H1N1 epidemic, I wrote a research report for the IBM Center of Government. It was called Preparing for the Inevitable, How the Federal Government Needs to Prepare for the uh, Next Pandemic. I don't think anyone read that report. <laughs> it was uh, a set, we were completely caught unprepared. You know, it wasn't just paper products, it was uh, protein. Food supply chains were completely unprepared. You know, food supply chains, about 50% is retail, 50% commercial. And when it all went to retail, when all the restaurants closed, uh, that whole supply chain was unable to align. You know, and, it, and it's so weird because I was uh, sitting in Gilead, I remember at their headquarters in February 2020. No one thought for a moment that this would, this would upend the rest of the year. But I think uh, one of the things to think about, you know, and this is what we've published in a recent HBR paper, is how to prepare for the unexpected. We need to have a different kind of playbook as it relates to, as Joy Deep was saying, not just our human resources, how we deal with people, how we deal with work, but how we deal with the unexpected. I, I like the idea of having a playbook, having a, a governance uh, framework, having a plan in place. What we also saw is we interviewed all these different state CPOs and, and some states were better prepared than others. And we saw it and it tended to be the ones that had been through this kind of epidemic or pandemic before, whether it was a, you know, a hurricane event or a, a critical event. Or, but I think we have to be prepared for cybersecurity threats, regular terrorist threats, weather related events. This is part of the new normal. And, and I think organizations need to be better prepared for the unexpected when it occurs. I really like your point about this playbook. And I remember you, you being at the campus where we were discussing, ironically, a security and risk roadmap. We were talking about that. But I want to go back to maybe 2010, and you'd conducted an SCRC day where you were talking about the theme of the day was black swan events and how yeah. we manage crisis management. And I remember everyone was on their phone and looking at stuff. And because 
risk is one of those things you don't pay attention to unless it really hits you right now. And I think one thing I have seen is companies that did have the playbook, but more importantly, that actually practiced the playbook, put the playbook and practice through crisis management exercises, table. They took the table talk exercises and actually brought the executive engagement in. That was a big lesson for us at Gilead was to take these tabletop exercises very seriously, map out what might happen, map out map out less the focus around trying to prevent the event from happening because that's going to happen, but how we respond to it in a methodical and, and structured manner. But it's a really good point about this. Let's not forget the lessons from this and let's capture all this in an optimized playbook that can better you know, make us respond in the future in an agile manner. It's interesting you mentioned the risk. As you both know, we have an enterprise risk management center here in pool management. We had the director, Mark Beasley, on a couple of weeks ago, and he produces a report that gets released every year for the top risk for the next year. And this year, they went ahead and did one for the top 20 risk for 2030. Mm-hmm. So thinking ahead. And I guess, you know, Joy Deep, as a, a leader in, in your organization, and Rob, one that consults with companies across the globe, what will you be doing to help prepare that playbook for the next five, 10 years? What are some of the things in, in your mind that are critical? Rob, you mentioned cybersecurity, definitely a big one. What are some of the other things that you think now, having been through this pandemic, will definitely be top priority moving forward? I think the, the number one thing that I see is global visibility, especially on certain critical resources. This past week, I sat in on a global summit run by CEPI that runs the, the COVAX vaccine. And one of the things that we, we talked about you know, on this, on this summit was the idea of a global visibility system. And, and the vaccine should be seen really as a utility because if every country doesn't have the vaccine, then you're gonna have these variants and the global economy will shut down. And yet when we're on the call, it was there was still a lot of tension, I think on the part of private sector saying, well, we don't want the government telling us where to, where to send our vaccines. And yet we have this issue with hoarding, we have issues with lower cost countries that can't afford it medium income countries that can't get supplies. We have to think globally. We have to think about the benefit of the entire world. And it's difficult for people to do that. But I think what I will see is, is I think we need to have greater partnerships between the private and public sector on regulatory issues, on vaccine related issues. This COVID thing is not going to go away once the U.S. is vaccinated. We need to think globally about getting vaccines everywhere in the world. And I think every organization should be thinking about that right now. Joy Deep, specifically, I wanted to ask you about the healthcare supply chain. Mm -hmm. You know, you had a significant amount of time at Biogen before your your role here. And Rob has spoken about this too, so I know he has an opinion about it. But but most significantly, how has this pandemic impacted our healthcare supply chain in so many ways? And and can we recover and can we be better moving forward? It has. Now, the healthcare industry, uh, supply chain constructs, as Rob knows well, luckily being in the healthcare space, we have a deep appreciation for supply demand constructs, right? So we, as an operations uh, leader, one of the worst things you can do is ever run out of supply. Stockout is a very, very, very bad word in our world. And that sort of uh, fear drove good things. And, and a couple of things that drives in the healthcare industry is better planning processes, right? We don't just look at demand signals from our commercial units. We add a very good safety factor. We we have some uncertainty factors building. We take a look at, we build in stuff like volatility, not just in our demand signal, but volatility in our, in our manufacturing signal in terms of ability to supply and factor all that in. And I would argue sometimes we over exceed ourselves and keep a more than healthy amount of inventory 
And sometimes you know, companies have other problems where we have an excess and obsolescence issue because we built up so much inventory. And that sort of mentality of always being safe and never being in a supply constrained world helped us, right? In terms of making sure. There, there are two things that this pandemic has done. It has put into bed, if you've read the news, you're suddenly seeing this amazing amount of partnerships intercompany come across. We are an industry that often uses the fact that we have to go it alone because of, you know, not in the research and development side where partnerships have always been, or on the commercial side, but on the operations side, you know, we've never heard of things like sharing manufacturing capacity. When I was in Biogen, the executives there did some really cool things in terms of having innovator capacities available for other companies, not from a manufacturing perspective, but from an expertise perspective. So you've seen a lot of that collaboration, and Rob alluded to that, collaboration with regulators and, and industry, collaborators between the public and private sort of enterprises. But there's been a very high amount of collaboration between companies. You talk about Novartis and Pfizer and, and J&J and even you know, Gilead, right? And we're sort of leveraging each other's available supply, both in terms of just pure manufacturing capacity, but also in terms of human resources, right, in, to try and solve this pandemic problem. And I think you'll see a little bit of that continue, right? I think we'll, we'll recognize the fact that in my own space, building gigantic you know, facilities and plants takes four or five years. It takes you know, north of a half a billion dollars you know, if you're building something in California at the scale we do. And I think it's at least informed my mindset on before we go ahead and try and build things, we really need to focus on what core capability needs to be internal and what, what we can leverage from other partners. You know, because in the end, we are just trying to advance therapeutics and we're trying to, to sort of get more drugs and more innovations to, to patients. And that should, I think, continue to be central to every operations executive's value agenda. Rob, do you have any thoughts on that? You know, having this visibility and, and being able to, you know, look at horizontal cooperation, I think will be important. I think that's what we're talking about with, with the vaccine. I've got some follow-on calls scheduled with, with the WTO and the ICC. And I almost feel that you need to have, you know, these third party adjudicators to say, hey, let's all work together, you know, to to address the, the shortfalls that we have in healthcare, And, uh, you know, collectively, we can we can raise the, you know, raise the awareness rate, raise the health of, of the world. And especially when you have something with like this vaccine, where if you don't eradicate it, you're going to get variants and it's going to come back and these vaccines will no longer be effective. So I, I think we really have to think more collectively and holistically, you know, to, to think about capacity, especially when you look at, at our healthcare system today and, and access. You know, we have to be thinking about access and how we, we distribute healthcare to everybody as well. It's, it's a basic human right. There's no question. Rob, looking ahead, and hopefully we all see the light at the end of the tunnel of this, but what industries do you think have the greatest risk? Which ones do you think will thrive? So, I, you know, I think, I think we're starting to see things come back, obviously, with the vaccine being deployed in the U.S. I think healthcare will continue to thrive. I think we'll, you know, we'll see the energy sector start to come back as, as people get back in their cars and start to travel again as well. So, so that may come back. And, and I think, you know, we're also going to see any organization that is working on sort of, Jordi was talking about the digital transformation everything now is going digital. I think we're going to start to see the digital analytics occurring in every sector. So if you're any, if you're involved in anything related to analytics, digital, you know, any, anything related to the electronic sector as well, we're going to see continued, continued growth. People, I think that have those skill sets that have the ability 
to work with you know large data sets and interact with data and make decisions and and have that those capabilities that's going to be the future i think for where the the big next increase in in jobs is going to be and as as Jordeep said it's you know the human is still in the loop automation doesn't mean that humans are no longer involved they're involved but just more deeply in interacting with machines and i think that's going to occur across every sector not just electronics so shifting a little bit again, Joy Deep, you're an alum of the Jenkins MBA program. Obviously, you've done very well since you've graduated from the program. But maybe share with us, you know, one to two things that were key takeaways for you from your program and your time here that have really influenced how you act as a leader and move along in your career. Yeah, I remember my time at, at Jenkins very fondly, right? Not just because of friends I made and the colleagues I met, but I think it was when I did the program, right? I was looking for an incredibly pragmatic, practical, and impactful way of applying what was seemingly complex management theory. Um, the two things that stands out for me with for my time there was the sort of you know the practicum approach of everything we did, right? It had to be applied. We rarely did things that were just we had theory. We learned economic theory. We learned you know, I think Rob breezed past supply chain theory in two classes, but we focused on things like, how do you apply that to a problem at John Deere? How do we apply this to a problem at Caterpillar? So there was this deep appreciation for taking, you know, what was very, very esoteric content and applying it for a practical problem at hand. So I, I really remember that fondly. The second thing about Jenkins that I also remember, not just remember fondly, I'm actually living this, is, you know, I've maintained connections. Well, and Rob, too, I think you, you have a unique perspective in your role as the director of the Supply Chain Resource Cooperative. You meet with industry all the time. What are you hearing as the skills that we are, need to be teaching our students for jobs that we don't even know exist yet? What are you hearing? Well, I, I think you hit the nail on the head, you know, jobs we don't even know will exist yet. I, I think one of the things that our students learn at NC State and in Pool is by engaging with industry, you know, they are dropped into a situation where they know nothing about that industry in many cases. You know, they've never worked in that field and they're given a problem that they know nothing about. And, and I think there's something called learning agility, which is really important. And it's that ability to quickly size up a problem, you know, establish the parameters, establish the scope of the problem, and then dive in and, and start looking at data and, and start understanding the nature of the problem and engaging, you know, having, having the ability to engage with people on a weekly basis, you know, knowing how to use Zoom, knowing how to run a meeting, knowing how to run an agenda. These are basic skills that are absolutely critical. And we see that companies that come to us are saying, we want people who can dive in, who can take these difficult, unstructured, complex problems and dive in and, and figure out how to, how to solve them using data, using analytics, using supply chain mapping, using, and, and it requires a certain curiosity. I mean, you have to be enthusiastic. You have to be a bit audacious to jump into some of these problems. You know, you really have to persevere because as anyone knows, who's done any kind of work with analytics or projects, the answer doesn't pop out at you. You hit a lot of dead ends. You have to keep going back and trying new things and, and innovating. And that's what innovation is all about. It, it really is about trying to solve difficult problems with, with new approaches. And I think that's, that's what we teach in our program, which really you know, stands us apart. And, and the other thing that stands us apart is we work with schools across campus. I don't know any other business school that has as much engagement with industrial engineering, computer science, agriculture, 
sciences. You know, we, we work with people from poultry science, you know, they're from all over the campus. And, and that really enhances the mix of skills that we bring to the table. I want to reiterate on that point, right? And that's something that I probably was inarticulately trying to make in the previous one was I think the access to having these multidisciplinary skills in a team is unique. Like I rarely go to Rob or with, with her ask for, I need five MBA students. I'm like, Rob, this is the problem I'm trying to solve. You know, and he's like, well, you really need an OR person here or you need someone with an advanced math degree or you need advanced, you know, someone with a deeper appreciation for things like risk, right? Or basically, you know, what you're having, Jerry, is a communications issue with this problem right now. And we, let's get some of our marketing teams together to talk about how you simplify the overall message across this, right? You know, and I think that is a very sort of healthy and a unique construct that, you know, really attracts industry to things like... to programs like the SCRC is being able to tap into a very interdisciplinary focus. Nothing in our industry really gets done with just a pure, in, in operations at least, with a pure, just, you know, uni-focused approach, right? So I think I, that's something I've really appreciated. And if I'm hearing correctly, too, from the both of you, especially post-pandemic, vulnerability and empathy are two skills that certainly are necessary moving forward, too, right? Just to be able to, to communicate how things have impacted you and be able to share that with others. Okay, so we have one question left, and it's for both of you. We talk a lot about think and do. Rob, you mentioned this earlier. Here at NC State in the Pool College Management, how important is it to you, in your opinion, that students have that hands-on experience before they enter industry? And I guess I would go first with Joy Deep, and then maybe Rob, how important is it to make sure students get the experience? I think it's a it's a very valuable component, right? I, I'm going to try and avoid giving a digital answer to this question, right? Because, you know, I think Rob used a very cool word that I think stands out is curiosity, right? You know, things when I look for when I hire people is, you know, I don't sort of err on just, oh, if you've got hands-on experience, you're great. Or if you don't have, you're not. I think if you're curious about why things are the way they are and why they can't be improved upon, right? That's a phenomenal sort of trait. And I think the thing can do actually spurs curiosity, right? Because I think if you take a look at it and I go back to my seven-year-old child and my four-year-old, they learn more from actual experimentation. Their entire life right now, they're just experimenting with everything, right? And I think the notion around being able to apply and, and, and learn from a very hands-on experimentation is, has been proven to be a phenomenal way of not just driving innovation, but actually piquing curiosity, right? So to the extent that it's a phenomenal enabler to a curious mindset. And it's a joy, thing of joy, right? To have a thesis, have hypotheses, test it out. If it doesn't work, you know, you get a bit frustrated and then you, you reiterate and it's just, it's just amazing, right? And it's a really important part. And I think, you know, you can always, when, you, when I'm interviewing students fresh out of college, right? You can also see a sense of confidence in them when they've actually tried and applied something, right? That's, because they've actually seen their work at play. So I think on those two dimensions, I think having this sort of practical experience is incredibly important. And Rob, from your perspective, as someone who's teaching in the classroom, how, how important is it for you to incorporate that into your curriculum? Well, I think it's, it's you know, it's absolutely critical that, that students have that experience. I've had students come to me and said, I've never learned more than I ever have in my entire, you know, MBA or undergraduate career than, than when I took this practicum class. And, and I think it's one of the reasons why we're seeing uh, so many of our SCRC partners stick around. You know, we've had, you know, Jody was at Biogen that was a partner and still is a partner. You know, Gilead is, is a partner. We had people, you know, go from company to company and continue to, 
to stick with the SCRC. Tom Nash was at ministry and now at the American Red Cross. Duke, Caterpillar, and Deer have all been you know, partners for more than 20 years. And they stick around because they want that influx of new talent, of young people who are coming in and just looking at a problem differently. You know, NC State, we're, we're kind of unique. We did a benchmark study and we were the only one of the top 15 supply chain schools in the Gardner study that does this number of different projects with companies. And, and we really believe it's, you know, the real benefit, the essence of learning occurs through that experience. And I think it's also one of the reasons why we're starting to see more and more companies come to places like RTP. You know, I was at a company, Apoject, this week. It's a new fill finish facility that's opening here in RTP. You know, Gilead is opening a new office here as well. Uh, and we're seeing more and more companies come here. And one of the reasons they all cite is we want the intellectual capital. We want the young people coming out of these schools. And that's viewed as, you know, a critical resource today. And that's one of the reasons why we're going to be having, I think, more and more companies come to the RTP area for the intellectual capital that's, that's available in these, these schools. I lied. I have one more question for Joy Deep. So I've asked this before for a couple other guests, and I think it's always fascinating to hear a response. Looking back when you were 21 and knowing what you know now, what would you have told your 21-year-old self about how things turned out? And would you do anything differently or give yourself some advice? Absolutely, right? You always have this, you know, when I was 21, I thought it was indestructible, right? And I was like, I think the advice I would actually give my 21-year-old self was the comment I started out this podcast with, right? You know, don't get so uh, hung up on just trying to develop yourself in one or two dimensions, right? I was very, I was results-oriented to almost a fault, right? I believed that, you know, everything could be solved by reducing it to a math equation, right? I mean, my first 10 years of my life was all it's Rob jokes with me. He said the first 10 of his 10 years of your life or career, all your publications were in analytics and, and digital, et cetera. The last 10 years, it's all been around inclusion and had the role of good social responsibility in your entire value engine. And, and I didn't recognize the importance of those things, right? I mean, you t- I'm part of the remit I also have within my company is to help with the ESG stuff, specifically environmental sustainability. And I don't do it purely because of social activism. That's a misnomer. We do it because good social responsibility is very good business. Having a more sort of, you know, just well-rounded, and obviously you can't, at 21, you know, if you're thinking about do, 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 learn, 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 get as much, much things. One piece of advice, and if it, if it helps other people listening to this, is actually surround yourself with, with amazing mentors and, and, and advocates, right? I, that the one thing I did do well was I always gravitated towards people that not just, you know, made me curious about new topics, but also, you know, taught me. Just personally, I'm going back to school this year, not because I, I, I want to, you know, there's things I haven't learned is I, I really feel that this academic industry sort of collaboration and partnership allows the best things to happen. There are things I still need to learn. There's still, still, still things I need to do. And it's a great sort of way of, of developing one's career. So surround yourself with mentors, always be curious, you know, don't stress about the small stuff. Things will work out. You know, I'm hoping now I'm reflecting back and thinking of the advice of the 21-year-old, right? I'm in my early 40s right now. I'm like, yeah, if you ask me this question 20 years from now, what advice would I give myself today, right? But a lot of it, I think, is just, you know, having more of a well-rounded approach towards life in general, right? If the pandemic showed us something that, you know, one thing, right, is that everyone's human. Well, I love what Rob said. You can't RPA or automate every aspect of your life to the point where, you know, it's a robotic way of, of living, you know, nurture relationships, you know, 
you know, enjoy life, right? And I think, you know, have fun at what you do. Find a job that we have so much fun, right? That it's not a job. It's actually something that, that you enjoy doing. So I know it was a deeply philosophical answer. I love yeah. it. I love it. And I, I have to say, I think it's really very special that you and Rob have this, this relationship, right? I mean, we talk about this often, but the fact that, you know, you continue to collaborate with each other far after you have graduated. I think that's really unique. And yes, as cheesy as it may sound, it really does live out the kind of think and do spirit of NC State and Pool. So thank you both for coming today. I know you're extremely busy. I know you both have a lot of things going on in your world, but to make some time for this and just share some of your insights and, and some feedback on obviously happenings of the pandemic, but also just some great feedback for our students and young alumni, I know will be well received. So thanks so much. A pleasure. Thanks. All right. Thank you to everyone for listening. For more information on the Pool College of Management at NC State, visit pool.ncsu.edu or follow along on social media where we're at NC State Pool. You can learn more about the strategic goals of NC State at ncsu.edu, as well as follow along on all campus happenings at NC State. And if you like this show, be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating and review. This podcast is a production of EarFluence. I'm Jenny Hammond, and we'll see you next time on The Pool Podcast.